looking forward to continuing our study as we go along in this journey of opening up the Word of God and seeing this, uh, this connection to Jesus Christ as we look through the pages of the Bible. I hope that it's been very enriching for you so far, and I hope that that continues as we study tonight. We're going to study as we talk about, you know, we've talked about Adam, we've talked about Noah, we've talked about Abraham, and now we come to Moses and the exodus of Israel. After Abraham had been called out to this land and his, his people began to grow, uh, we encounter one of his, his uh, descendants, his grandson, Jacob. And at the end of Jacob's life, prior or close to the end of his, his life, uh, as we get into the story of Joseph, uh, the Israelites, of course, we know the story of Joseph. His brothers hated him and they sold him into slavery. And, that, and then Joseph rose up in the kingdom of Egypt and he goes into Egypt and he eventually brings his family into uh, Egypt. He brings the people of Israel into Egypt. And in Genesis 46, we find something interesting that God told uh, to Jacob, and he says in Genesis 46, and he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for there will I make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. So God reassures Jacob, and he says, go down there into Egypt, and is there that I will multiply you. Remember that promise that, that God made to Abraham about multiplying his seed. He said, there's where it will take place. And over many years, they did multiply. Uh, roughly 70 people went into this place, and they multiplied into this great nation under, the, un, under this uh, time of living there in that land of Egypt. Now, as the passage of time goes, a pharaoh rises up, a ruler over Egypt that did not know Joseph, and was threatened by this Hebrew population that grew uh, there within their, within their borders, and they were outnumbered, and so they were, were fearful, and so the Hebrews became enslaved to the Egyptians. And from this time, the, the Egypt, the people of Egypt and the kingdom of Egypt becomes a symbol of slavery and of bondage and of death to the people of God. Moses eventually comes and is born. And he's saved by his mother. There's a, a mass execution taking place of, of those of the firstborn. And he was saved by his mother. And when he was grown, he saw the oppression of his people. And he killed an Egyptian. And he fled because of this. He flees Egypt only to be told by God that he's going to go back and he's got to deliver the people. And so one of the things we notice about Moses as we look into his story is that he is a deliverer. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, it says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses, in this time where he's fled Egypt, God tells him and comes to him and says, I've heard the cries of my people, and now it's time for you to go into Egypt, and it's time for you to bring them up out of Egypt. So God sends Moses there, and of course Pharaoh is very reluctant to do this. Uh, he doesn't want to let these people go. These are his slaves. They're making all these, uh, these fortifications and all of these structures under his command. It's a, he's he's going to lose this massive workforce of slaves, but God sends ten plagues to Pharaoh, and he finally breaks, and he releases the Hebrews. Yet he's angry, and he tries to fight them, but God destroys Pharaoh and his armies, and protects his people. And so, that's basically the story from Exodus chapter 1 up into chapter 19. Now, three months after going into the land of, of, out of the land of Egypt, the Israelites come into the wilderness of Sinai, and we read an interaction here in Exodus chapter 19, 
Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called him up out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then shall you be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak to the children of Israel." So Moses is called up to God and to, to this mount as they go to Mount Sinai. And God gives them these words and he says, If you will obey me, you will be my kingdom of priests. It's very reminiscent and connected to what we read about in Genesis chapter 1 when God created mankind and he created them to be, uh, have dominion over, over this world and to be holy. And we can see images here of a royal priesthood. And so he says, you will be my royal priesthood now. He's grown this mighty seed of of Abraham, and he says, you will be my royal priesthood if you obey me. So Moses lays these words of God before them, and they say, everything that God has said, we agree, and we will do. And God instructs the people uh, to be sanctified. He says, on the third day, I will come and descend upon this mountain and appear to them. He instructs them to set a barrier around this mountain so that the people would not go up and not even touch it, or they would die. And, and it's a very fearful and this, this amazing event where God is going to come down and confirm that God has been speaking to Moses in the sight of all the people. And he says, I'm doing this so that they will believe the words that you're telling them. I have spoken to you from heaven. And so in Exodus chapter 20, God descends upon Mount Sinai and he speaks in the presence of all the people. And here he gives them the Ten Commandments. Now this is important for us to know. Uh, the Ten Commandments are, are these. He says, have no other gods before me. Uh, He says, I am the Lord. Don't have any other gods. Don't make or worship idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your parents. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. If you'll notice in these commandments and the way they're structured, the first four deal with mankind's relationship with God. How you honor God. You don't have idols You don't make these graven images. You don't bow down and worship these things that you've created from your own imagination and your own mind. You don't take the Lord's name in vain and you remember to keep His Sabbath. Those were the things He told Israel in their relation with God. If you'll notice, on the other hand, these other six have to do with our relationship or Israel's relationship with mankind, with one another. So we have honoring God and honoring and loving your neighbor as yourself. These two pillars of what it means to be the holy, royal priesthood of God. You don't kill people, you don't steal from people, you don't commit adultery against your spouse, you don't go and bear false witness, you don't covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's possessions, you honor your parents. It's how you deal with people in this world. And these these pillars are the foundation of the law that God would give to them, and he gives them more instructions. But as God comes down and speaks these things before all the people, it was a very terrifying event. And it says that the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of a trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood far off. And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear. But let let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you. And that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. And the people stood far off. And Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked from you, with you from heaven. 
These people were terrified at the sight of God coming down on this mountain and they see this fire and this thunder and the lightnings and they hear all this noise and they're terrified and they say, we don't want to talk to God. We don't want to be in his presence. You talk to him, Moses, and, and come and talk to us and, and we'll listen. And so they're afraid and they ask for Moses to be a mediator between them and God. In Exodus chapter 21 through 23, God continues talking with Moses and he delivers more judgments for them to keep. And Moses delivers these words of the people and he writes them in a book and, and in sacrifices are made and then blood is sprinkled on the book and on the people. And what is happening here is they're being bound to the covenant that they said that they would agree and obey. And in verses uh, 6 through 8 here in Exodus 24, Moses took half the blood that was sacrificed, he put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of all the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. They wanted to be the royal priesthood of God. They wanted to be his holy people. And Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So Moses takes this sacrificial blood and he binds the people to this covenant with that sacrificial blood. Puts it on the altar, the place where they offer the sacrifice. He sprinkles it on the book and he sprinkles it on the people. And he binds them together to this covenant. And they all agree that they are going to obey the commandments of God. We're going to honor God, we're going to honor our neighbor as ourselves, is, is essentially what we, we have here. Now Moses is called up to come near to God, receive more instruction. Verse 12 through 14, and the, and the Lord said to Moses, come up to me in the mount and be there. And I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua uh, Moses went up into the mount of God, and he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us until we come again to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let them come to them. So God calls Moses up into this mount, and, and he says, I'm going to give you these commandments. He takes Joshua with him up to a certain point, and he, tells, and he, he gathers the elders here, and he says, Wait here, and we'll be back. And he says, If you have anything that you need, talk to Aaron Aaron is his brother, who is appointed as the high priest, and her. He says, talk to these guys. If you need anything, they're in charge while I'm gone. So they, he goes up into the mount. And while he's there, he sees this beautiful vision of the heavenly tabernacle. In Exodus 25 through 31, God gives Moses the design of the tabernacle and the instructions for how he, they're to worship him and how the priesthood is established with Aaron as the high priest and his sons as the priest and the garments that they wear and the things that they do and, and the sacrifices they should make. And he also receives, as, he, as we read here, these tables of stone that were written on by the hand of God and, and to take it down to the people as evidence to them of God's work. Now, if you have a Bible, we're going to read from Exodus chapter 32, because all what we've been reading leads us to the main focal point of our study tonight, examining Exodus chapter 32. So we know what happens. He's called them out. There's royal priesthood. They said they would obey. They've called Moses up into the mountain. They've received these special instructions. What a blessing these people had. And then it all went wrong. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, he was up there for 40 days, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. As for this Moses, we wot not what has become of him. 
And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received them at their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it, uh, made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. The people got tired of waiting for Moses and they say, Where is he? Where did Moses go? Did he just leave us here to die? We don't know what's happened to him. Is he even alive? So what they do is go to the religious leaders, Aaron, who was in charge, and he, they say, give me something to worship. Give me a God. Make us something. Now it seems like Aaron is really trying to make it hurt for them. He says, give me the gold that you have. People don't want to give up their gold. These people were so devoted to this idea, they broke off the earrings from their, themselves and their wives and their children, and they gave it to Aaron, and they said, here it is. His plan didn't work. They were so devoted to this idea. So he puts it in the fire, he engraves it, and he makes this golden calf, and the people are excited, and they're celebrating, and it seems like in Aaron's mind, there's not a problem here that they've created this image after God told them, don't make idols. And he makes this image, and he makes an altar, and he says, tomorrow's a feast day to the Lord. Now he's mixed this idol worship with the worship of the true and living God. He's mixed what is unholy with what is holy. And the people are excited about this. And they're happy about this. And they rise up and they make these peace offerings. And they're rising up to eat and to drink. And they rise up to play, it says. So they're having a big old time. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get thee down. For thy people, which thou brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. And have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them and have made a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. And now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. God says, Get out of the way, Moses. I'm going to consume them, and I'm going to start all over with you, with you, and I'll, I'll bring this promise of Abraham about through you, and I'll make a great nation out of your seed. These people are rebellious, and they've turned against me, and they've corrupted themselves, and now they're saying this idol is the one who brought them up out of Egypt. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt, with great power and a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all the land I have spoken of I will give to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Moses now stands between the people and their sin and God, and says, please Lord, remember your covenant. And God remembers. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. 
And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, remember, they were having this big old party because of this golden calf. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is this the voice, uh, neither It's not the voice of them that strive for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh to the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hand, and he brake them beneath the mountain. It's a picture of them breaking the covenant of God. And now they've they've broken this, and so Moses breaks this covenant before these people. The very covenant they swore to honor. The very covenant they were bound to by the sacrificial blood that was offered. They've now broken. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it with fire, and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel to drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. And they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, uh, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. We, We want not what has become of him. And I said to them, Whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it me. And I find this piece kind of, uh, kind of funny because it seems like Aaron's just kind of trying to cover his tracks. We read what he did. He took that fire and he took the graving image and he made this calf for them. He says, I cast it into the fire and there, there came out this calf. It's like, I, I don't know what happened. They just gave me the gold and here it was, the calf. We know that's not all the truth. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? What a question. As he looks out among these people who are eating and drinking and rising up to play, worshiping and sacrificing to this calf, he looks upon these people and says, Who's left? Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him, and he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about three thousand men. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. Now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure he would make an, he, I will make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if you will not forgive their sins... If not, 
blot me out, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. What an incredible, what an incredible act from Moses. As he says, please forgive them, God, and if, if you don't, then just put it all on me. Blot me out of your book of life. And the Lord said to Moses, whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore, now go, lead the people to the place that I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day that I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. What an incredible event that takes place. Incredibly heartbreaking. But that teaches us so much about God and his reaction to the people and his expectations of the people and the leadership of Moses that we see. These people got tired of waiting on Moses. Can you imagine these people, the questions that they had? Why did he just bring us out here? They asked him those kind of questions all the time. Did you just bring us out here because there's not enough graves in Egypt? You needed a big enough piece of land to bury all of us people? Why did you even bring us here? Where did he even go? Is he even alive anymore? And then they turn to the religious leaders and say, we want something to worship. Make us, make us God so we can go, that go before us. And then when Moses comes down from the mount and sees the, the, the terrible nature of the people, he gathers up those that are loyal to God and he says, who is on the Lord's side? And they're sent out through the camp with sword in hand, and 3,000 men die that day because of sin. Now, everything that we've seen and talked about so far about Moses is this. He is a deliverer. He delivered the people out of Egypt. He is a mediator. He stands between the people and communicates to, to the people and uh, the will of God, and he takes the answer of the people, and he takes it before God, and he communicates with him, mediating between man and God. He is the lawgiver. He goes up to the mount in the presence of God, and he receives these commandments, and he gives them to the people that come straight from God. The people agree that they are going to do the commandments, and he binds them with sacrificial blood. He throws the blood on the book, and he throws the blood on the people, and he puts it on the altar, and he binds them to this covenant with his sacrificial blood. He ascends up into the presence of God, there to be in that holy place, to see the vision of that heavenly tabernacle, and, and receives the instruction to make it just, just so, as he's seen in that pattern. But he ascends up the mountain into God's presence. And when he comes down and sees the sins of the people, he acts as an interceder, and, and intercedes on behalf of the people and says, don't blot them out, blot me out instead. He begs for their sin, and begs for God's forgiveness on their behalf. And not only does he beg for the forgiveness of those people, he comes down and he executes judgment against those who are wicked and gathers up the righteous, calling out who is on the Lord's side and gathers up those who are, are wanting to do the will of the Lord. And of course, the sons of Levi are the ones that gather themselves to him. But what we see here in this story of Moses is an exact picture of Christ. You know, God said that a prophet would would the Lord God raise up like unto me? And that's exactly what God did with Jesus Christ. Jesus is all of these things. You know, those people came to, to this great thundering mountain and there was fear and there was terror and they couldn't touch this rope or they would die. 
But you know what, brethren? You and I have not come to such a place. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 24 says, You are not come to the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thus threw with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That's what we just read about with the people coming to Mount Sinai and receiving the law and being bound to this covenant and God saying, do this and you'll be my holy royal priesthood. He says, no, brethren, we haven't come to that, but we've come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and into innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That's what you and I belong to. It's not what the Israelites came to in this terrible, frightening thing. It's a thing that we can rejoice as we come into the presence of God through Jesus Christ and through the sacrifice that He made. Because Jesus is the one that is being spoken of. When He says, For Moses truly said to the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up to you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever He shall say to you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Just like the judgment that, a, that Moses brings to the people, if they will not listen, Jesus is bringing blessings to those who will hearken and, and cursings to those who will not. Again, going back to what we read when Moses led the commandments, uh, laid the commandments out before the people, and it says, See, I have brought before you this day and laid before you life and death. The choice is yours. And Jesus gives us that very choice through his, his offering and invitation to come to us. And come to him, come to this innumerable company of angels and come to this great Mount Zion because Jesus Christ, like Moses, is the true deliverer. For as much then, in Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 15, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Remember the, the curse of death that we were put upon because of the sin of Adam? Remember how we said that, that Egypt is a symbol of sin and death and bondage? Moses delivered the people up out of Egypt. Jesus delivers up out of us, delivers up out of the power of death and out of the bondage of sin. Jesus delivers us from the true evil that Moses was picturing in leading the people up out of Egypt. He delivers us from death. And he went down into that place himself so that he could bring us back up from that place. He receives commandments that he brings and he delivers to the people. In John 8, he spoke of this. He says, uh, and then they said to him, who art thou? And Jesus said to them, even the same that I said to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Just like Moses receiving and hearing the commandments of God and taking it down and delivering it to the people, Jesus receives commandments from God and he delivers these instructions to the people. And they're instructions that God expects us to obey. And yet we are fearful and we don't want to talk to God and we don't want to be in his presence. But thankfully we have a mediator that stands between us and God. Hebrews chapter 8, 5 through 6, it says that the things that we read about in the law serve as an example and shadow of heavenly things. 
as Moses was admonished of, of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, he saith he, that, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now, he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry, by which also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Because this goes back to the promise of the garden. This goes back to the promise of Abraham. It superseded the law. And the law, which was given 430 years after Abraham, cannot disannul this great promise that Jesus Christ was bringing about. And he is the mediator between God and humanity, giving us the instructions that God expects us to obey. And if we agree, just like those Israelites stood before Moses and heard these words and says, we agree and we will obey everything that God has told us to do, if we make that choice, Jesus Christ will bind us to the new covenant with his blood. In Hebrews chapter 9, we receive that, that teaching. He says, in verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, not the blood of animals, not the blood of bulls and goats like the sacrifices Moses made, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more shall that blood purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. When, when Abraham ratified that covenant and bound it to those people, there was sacrifices made. Jesus here is the sacrifice that was offered, and it is his blood that was used to, to sprinkle it upon us, in a manner of speaking, so that we could be joined together to this covenant. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. We read about that in Exodus. That first testament, it was dedicated with blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined to you. If you think that was special and important, and, and they were bound to something that was holy, they were. How much more is the blood of Christ that, and the, the new covenant that we've been bound to? It's far greater. It's a more excellent ministry. It's a far better covenant with far better sacrifices, with much better blood that, that not only cleanses the flesh, it cleanses our conscience. What a blessing that we've been given to be bound to the New Testament with the blood of Jesus. And just like Moses, he's called up to ascend in the presence of God. Jesus did this very thing in Luke chapter 24 and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached uh, in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. As he's preaching here and telling him about this great blessing of Abraham that he was going to, to bring about from the very beginning, he sends them out and commissions them to preach to all the nations. And while he's talking to them, behold, I have left a verse out. <laughs> what a thing to behold. As he stands there talking to them, he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And there he goes to the presence of God, ascending, just like Moses did, ascending up to that mountain to stand in the presence of God. Jesus goes to sit on the right hand 
of God. What an incredible parallel and an incredible blessing. Now, just like Moses, when he hears and he sees of the sins of the people and God's wrath is waxing hot and he wants to destroy the people and he wants to pour out his wrath upon this wickedness, Moses steps in and says, God, please remember your covenant. Jesus does that very thing for us as he stands at the right hand of God, pleading and making intercession for us. Romans chapter 8, 34, he says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. When we fail to uphold the covenant, when we fail to uphold our end of the bargain, when we are bound together to the blood, with the blood, to this new covenant, and we say, we're going to obey what God has has wants us to do. We're going to obey the commandments that we've heard from Christ. And when we fall... Jesus is there to stand before us and God. And he stands between us, reminding God of the covenant that he made through Jesus Christ, through the blood, through the sacrifice he made, that covers us. And God's wrath is turned away from us. In 1 John 2, he says, My little children, these things I write to you that you sin not. If any man, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What an incredible blessing we have that Jesus intercedes on our behalf and begs the mercy of God to be extended on us because of him. He is our advocate. And he intercedes on our behalf. He is everything that we read about Moses, a deliverer of the people. He is, he's delivered us from sin and death. He is the one that gives us commandments. He is the mediator between man and God. He binds us to the new covenant with his blood. He ascends to the presence of God and stands there interceding so that God's wrath may not be poured out upon us. Now here's the the scariest part of this story. If Moses is a picture of Jesus... I fear, brethren, that we are a picture of the Hebrews. Those people of Israel got tired of waiting for Moses to come down from that mount after he'd been up there for 40 days. Are we tired of waiting for Jesus to come back? He's been gone a long time. Peter said, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter warns about an attitude of scoffers that would come and say, this world, it's just going to go on the same way it has for generation to generation. Since the fathers have died, since the people, those ancient peoples have died, it's going to continue on forever and ever. And they, they ask that question, where's the promise of his coming? Do we have those same doubts? Where is Jesus? Is he ever coming back? Was he ever really even alive? Has he brought us here or just left us here to die? 
Why did he leave us here alone? Brethren, I'm scared that we see this in the church today. And people have gotten tired of waiting for Jesus and have turned to the religious leaders and asked them to make their own golden calf to worship and serve. And we're trying to distract ourselves with entertainment and all form of of distractions that fill our lives so that we can forget about the waiting that we have on God. And we want immediate blessings right in front of our face right now so we can worship and we can celebrate and we can party it up because we want to feel good about ourselves. How many people are there living today, even in the church, sadly, eating and drinking and rising up to play, doing whatever they want, however they want, with no care at all for the fact that Christ will one day come off of that presence of God. And just like Moses, Jesus will execute judgment against the unrighteous. Luke, Jesus gave this warning. He says, but if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, he's going to be gone for a long time. I've got plenty of time to cover up all these things that I'm doing in my life. And he shall begin to beat the men servants and the maidens and to eat and drink and be drunken. This servant, he doesn't care about his master being gone, but he goes and he abuses his, his servants. Other subjects of this, of this master's kingdom. And he goes and does whatever he wants, however he wants, with whoever he wants. And he's drunken and he's living it up. And it's all fun and games until the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him. At an hour which he is not aware and will cut him asunder. That imagery reminds us of the imagery we talked about with with Abraham cutting that covenant with God. And this man has broken now the covenant and now he's going to be cut asunder because he's, he's done what he promised not to do. And he will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Jesus is coming back and judgment will be had on the people that chose not to follow him. Because again, it is a choice of life and death and the choice is yours. The choice is mine. And if we choose not to live our life in, in pursuit of the holiness of God as, as his royal priesthood, then he will let us have the end of our desires and be destroyed. And at the end, Jesus will come back and he will call out, just as Moses did, who is on the Lord's side? In First Thessalonians 4, It says he will gather these righteous unto himself for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What an incredible blessing that Jesus comes to this world and he gathers up the righteous unto himself. And just as Moses asks that question, I lay that before you. Are you on the Lord's side? Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.